マイド、Made it in Japan Podcast へようこそ。外出自粛中のエリオットです。皆さん、大丈夫ですかね、えー、前回よりコロナショックが、まあ、さらに悪化しており、WHO が正式にパンデミックを宣言してきましたね。えー、この1週間は、まあ、日本国内で感染者はあんまり増えてないようですが、まあ、海外、特にイタリアやアメリカで感染がどんどんどんどん拡大しており、あ,りとあらゆる場面に影響が出てますね。今年年間の東京オリンピックについても、まあ、最近真剣に延期の風が吹いてきてますね、まあ、僕の立場からなかなかやむを得ない状態でねあの来年の開催がベストに見えますけどねまあ認めるのが言いたいんですがあの昨日安倍総理が記者会見で、えー、緊急事態ではないと、えー、おっしゃったんですが本当かと思いますねあの海外で状況が日に日に深刻化しているし国内でも表に出てない感染者もたくさんいるのに、まあ、日本、えー、とりわけ安倍政権が急いで通常に戻ろうとしているのはもう世界の情勢から、まあ、かなり逸脱してきてるように思います。日経新聞によるとまあ、国内の感染者が700人未満ですがあのニューヨーク・タイムズでは日本の感染者が1400人以上と報道されてますねでこの乖離に対する説明不足は正直、まあ、気になります<笑>でまあいずれにせよ異常事態というのは間違いないんでリスナーの皆さんはもうくれぐれも気をつけてくださいさて、えー、本日のゲストは、えー、アメリカのボストンで生まれ育ったマーク・ホサンさんです。でマークさんは、えー、IT のスペシャリストであり、えー、現在 TBSJ、Translation Business Systems Japan、えー、という翻訳会社ですね、えー、の最高情報責任者 CIO を務めています。本人が詳しく説明してくださったんですが TBSJ は完全にリモートワークで運営されている会社なので、えー、事務所を基本的に持ってなくて、えー、社員がもうみんな在宅勤務をしている状態ですねでまたその上に社員も世界中に分布しているそうですでそこであの社内ネットワークやシステムの整備や管理サーバーのメンテナンス情報の管理などはまあその最高情報責任者マークさんの責任になります極めてチャレンジングなお仕事だと思うんですねでこのようなまああのイノベーティブな組織形態は今後もっと注目され導入されると考えられるし、まあ、今回のコロナウイルスをきっかけに、まあ、テレワークの検討および導入が、まあ、かなり進んでいくと思うんですよね。でマークさんのお話、えー、そして、まあえー、TBSJ 社の、えー、モデルは非常に参考になるという印象を受けました。はいそれ以外にもあの日本における IT の現在と今後、えー、そしてマークさん自身の,あの日本企業での経験そして、えー、この愛知県で、えーまあ、家族を初めて養っている、えー、話についてもあのいただきましたで日本人のリスナーあのマークさんはボスタンの方言を喋らないので標準的な英語ではありますがまあ、結構専門用語が多いし早口なのでついていくのが若干難しいかもしれませんでもいずれにしてもあのマークさんとの会話がまあ僕にとって面白かったし勉強にもなったので皆さんにとってもまあ気づくのあるエピソードになるんじゃないかなと思いますまた3月中には少なくとも1話をあげる予定なのでまあ楽しみにしていただけたらと思います
そして繰り返しですが、まあ、お体ご健康にお気をつけてお過ごしくださいでは Greetings Welcome back to the Made in Japan podcast I hope everyone is managing okay Obviously extremely difficult times right now Since the last episode The circumstances surrounding the COVID-19 novel coronavirus have worsened considerably, especially outside of Japan. In my home country, the United States, the number of cases increases daily, and I believe President Trump declared a state of emergency throughout the country just before the weekend, and also restricted all Europeans from entering the United States, a decision that was met with some criticism, but seems necessary right now. Financial markets throughout the world are collapsing with incredible inertia. This past week, the S&P 500 recorded the shortest period in history that it has gone from record highs to a bear market.、Uh, total of 15 trading sessions, 22 days. As for Japan, things seem to have settled down a bit on the surface. But I'm not sure how much of that is just complacency. Prime Minister Abe gave a press conference in the afternoon yesterday concerning the special measures law that the cabinet is pushing through. And he went on to say that Japan right now is not in a state of emergency. The government is pushing hard for a return to semi normalcy,、uh, but I personally think that there is still considerable cause for concern. First, there is a serious discrepancy in the number of cases rep- re- reported domestically. Uh, by that, I mean the Nikkei Shimbun, Japan's largest economic newspaper, reports less than 700 total cases in Japan, while the New York Times lists over 1,400. And I'm yet to see a convincing reason for that discrepancy. Also,、uh, I imagine that the government is merely doing whatever it can to salvage the Olympics scheduled for this summer in Tokyo, and is therefore trying to present a strong front. But this seems rash to me, to be quite honest. As policymakers, I expect a more measured response, and it doesn't seem like the, the proper time to be making hasty decisions, especially as the world seems to be heading in the opposite direction. Anyway, it is obviously an extremely dire situation. I hope everyone listening is staying safe and being cautious. So, moving into today's episode, my guest on the podcast. Is Mr. Mark Hosang, an American, originally from Boston, who is currently the CIO for Translation Business Systems Japan,、uh, a company、uh, also known as TBSJ.、Uh, by the way, there are quite a few acronyms in that last sentence. CIO, for those who don't know,、uh, stands for Chief Intelligence Officer. So, Mark、uh, originally came as a student and worked at a Japanese tech company for a short period before changing to his current company, TBSJ, where he has worked for nine years now.、Uh, Mark and I discussed some of the more innovative aspects of his company, namely that it is entirely remote with employees located around the world. And as the CIO, Mark has the challenging job of managing the IT infrastructure, supporting the organization. Uh, and he offers some valuable insights on IT management, the state of information technology in Japan, and the future of AI, artificial intelligence. Also,、uh, Mark is an active member of the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan.、Uh, he is married with two young children, and we actually finish up this episode discussing family matters in Japan,、uh, like the challenges of raising bilingual children. Anyway, I really enjoyed our chat.、Um, Mark is very engaging and indeed an expert in his field. And I hope you all learn a thing or two from the podcast. I certainly did.、Um, I have another exciting guest lined up、uh, for the, the latter half of March. So I should have a new episode up in about a week or so. In the meantime, stay safe out there, everybody. Okay, Mark. It's nice to meet you. 
Great to be here, Elliot. Thank yeah, you for yeah. inviting Thanks me. for coming out. It's raining. Yeah, it's very lots of rain today. Yeah, <laughs> very soaked. There's a virus going around right now. Yeah, trying to avoid that along with the rain. Has that affected you much? Uh, personally, not so much, but uh, for our company, it's actually been uh, good for business, to be honest. How's that? Um, so, well, we'll get into this later, but mm. uh, I work at a translation firm, and one of the things that has happened is that companies have made the move to do remote working without ever doing remote working before. And right. they found that they, they want to do the remote working and yet they don't have the security protocols in place or, or mm. laptops for all their staff. Right. And all of a sudden their internal translation team can't do all the work now because they, they're not, they can't do the remote work, right? right but they're right. sending them home regardless. Right. right. So what has created a, a deficiency in, in their internal translation capacity and so uh, my company being a translation firm, they are outsourcing their translation to us. So it's actually been mm. good. Uh, good for and business. It's, right, it's yeah. really bad uh, for, I feel guilty because every time there's some kind of disaster or uh, global economic turmoil, obviously lots more documents get created, which right. means more right. to translate. So business, it's actually yeah, typically yeah. good for business. Right, right. Which is really horrible. But Well, you're just <laughs> ahead of the curve, yeah? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, this is actually the first time we met. Yep. So, it is. yeah, uh, I'd like to sort of start at the beginning. Sure. Yeah. Hear hear your story. I'm really interested, to be honest. Okay. And uh, you especially, you specialize in something about which I am not very well informed. It. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'd love you to teach me a little bit about that. But why don't you sort of tell me where you're from and okay. how you ended up here? All right. Well, for our listeners, uh, my name is Mark Hosang. Um, I'm originally from Boston. Uh, mm. Back in the U.S. Yeah, um, and uh, I started out as a uh, CRM consultant, uh, so a, a customer relationship management uh, software consultant over in the states. I did yeah. that for a couple years, yeah. and then uh, came on over to Japan to study abroad, uh, study Japanese. Down what, what year was that? Uh, I actually did four study abroads here in Japan. Really? Wow. So I did one in 2002, 2003, uh, 2006, and 2007. Not the most efficient in terms of the airfare. Uh, <laughs> well, no, no, of course. <laughs> Not the most economical. No, yeah. no. But the, the last time I was here in 2007, I was at uh, Yamasa down in Okazaki. Mm. Um, and I was there for a year. Um, and that was the start of, uh, at the time, a five-year plan to stay in Japan and, and kind of live abroad and experience living abroad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I found a job working at a subsidiary of a, of a large Japanese IT company. Mm. Um, and I was the only foreigner. Uh, doing you know C sharp development, okay. Um, you know just uh, web application development, okay. Um, and I did that for about three or four years, uh, and then I uh, got moved over to my current company TBSJ, mm. Um, mm. where uh, I was continuing to do uh, project management software, internal software development, yeah. uh, and IT ops as well. Mm. Um, so you know managing the servers and whatnot. Um, and then our CIO at the time decided to leave to move on to to you know whatever was he wanted to move on to. But sure. uh, the company then decided that instead of looking outside, you know, might as well hire from within. You mm. know, we have a lot of customized systems and whatnot. And so I've been the CIO at TBSJ for about four years now, or coming up on four years now. Mm. So it's been uh, a very uh, interesting experience. Uh, definitely. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're still a small company, right? We're only about mm. 35 people. But okay. But we're 100% uh, we're remote, mm. uh, which is one reason why we didn't have much effect from the coronavirus. Sure, right? sure, yeah. Um, and we're actually located all around the world. Really? Yeah. Um, and so that actually allows us to provide, uh, you know, kind of around-the-clock uh, support and, sure. and service to our customers. Because, sure. you know, they send in something at Friday night at 10 p.m., you know, most places are closed, but our U.S. <laughs> office is coming online. So yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's probably interesting dynamic, you know, um, working from home for nine years is, you know, giving me a, <laughs> a little bit view, different view on how my work environment should be. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Doing everything remotely. Yeah. Do you, it was that way from the start, yes? Yes. When you, when you, you know, got the promotion and moved into that position, yeah? Yeah, we was, we, we, the company has always been 100% remote, yeah. so uh, there was no transition period. We were just, that's how business started. Mm. Uh, but a lot of the uh, 
you know, one of the big difficulties with having a 100% remote company from an IT perspective is mm. how do you handle desktop support? Like, you know, people, the printer's not working or, right. or yeah. they can't connect to the internet, which is the really hard one, right? Right, because right. Because you can't connect to their computer to see what's going on. For sure, yeah. Um, or if their machine breaks down. So these are some things that are very difficult when you're in a remote-only environment, mm. um, especially when they're all around the world, so they can't just easily ship their PC to us. You know, if they're in Europe, right. it takes two weeks or right. a week or right. whatnot. Um, but I was there for a lot of the transition phases where we kind of work through changes and, and how to streamline this process to, to make remote working a, you know, uh, as easy as possible. Mm. It's kind of an oxymoron, but you know, mm. <laughs> you know uh, remote work is inherently more difficult uh, to manage. Sure, but you wouldn't do it if you didn't believe that the, the benefits yeah. outweighed yeah. any inconvenience that you suffer from doing that, right? So right. what are, speak to some of the, the benefits that you see. What sort of then maybe sets you apart or gives you an edge because you are remote? So one of the big things about being remote, it allows us to get talent from all over the world, mm. right? And one thing that's really interesting for us is uh, our company is completely bilingual, so everybody in the company speaks both English and Japanese. You don't have to be fluent in both, but you need to be fluent in one. Right. Um, and uh, because of that, it allows us to, to uh, pick up people anywhere in the world. We don't care where you live, mm. right? And in fact, living not in the Japan time zone is really good because it gives us better coverage for our customers. Oh, uh, sure, sure. So uh, we end up having uh, able to get a lot of, we have a lot of uh, housewives, um, Japanese oh, really? housewives that married foreigners, living mm. abroad, um, working mother's hours, but because we're work from home, it's really easy to do the sure, mother's hours, sure. right? Yeah, yeah it's um, really convenient. And then even so after our some of our staff got you know, pregnant and had babies, it actually was really easy for them to continue working with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maternity leave is is constant at your company. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can be difficult, right? It's the status quo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, obviously yeah. I'm, I'm exaggerating. No, no, but no, but it's, it's true, though. <laughs> I mean, because it's really easy to do the mother's hours, sure. right? Because yeah. what's mother hours for you is not mother's hours for the ship that you might be working. Right, right. right. So because we have that flexibility, because we're everybody's in different time zones, mm. it makes things a lot easier. Now, another advantage, too, is that it, it kind of protects us from uh, disasters. So uh, for instance, uh, you know, obviously the Tohoku earthquake hit a long time ago, but mm. uh, when that happened, you know, obviously people were freaking out, and people didn't have internet access and, and whatnot. Yeah. But we were not as affected because we had staff everywhere in the world, right? Sure. S or mm. another good example, um, it didn't affect us, but uh, affected a lot of companies was the monsoons in India, mm. uh, where a lot of companies had outsourced their IT support to India, and because the whole country was, or the specific area was hit by all these monsoons, they wiped right. out all their desktop support. Right, right. So because we're all wow. over the world, it kind of makes things a little bit uh, more robust in terms of uh, business continuity. Mm. Um, so that's one real advantage. Yeah, 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 I, I imagine. Uh, and right now, as we mentioned in the beginning, the coronavirus. Right. Yeah, uh, companies, many companies are in, you know, global HMI MPO included. Uh, is shifting to sort of telework, remote work as much as we possibly can. Mm. And, you know, a lot of, many companies are initially tremendously affected by that, right? right. They don't have the know-how. Yeah. Uh, they don't know how to get through sort of the, they haven't experienced the growing pains of remote work. But for you, if that is sort of a constant, a way of life, then right. there's hardly even an adaptation period, I imagine. There was actually um, one issue for us is when oh. they put, like I said, most of our staff are, are, are Japanese housewives, right? Mm. Um, and even here in Japan, we have a lot of staff that are Japanese housewives. Yeah. And what it did affect us was when they canceled all the, they closed all the schools. All of a sudden, yeah, sure. they were working, but they had their children come home. Right. And so the question was, how can we shift their hours so that they can continue to work? Or do, we have to do they have to reduce their hours because their kids are at home? Right. But again, because we're all remote, you know, we can have somebody in Europe work a different shift to cover that, right. and then have that person work maybe when their husband comes home or or, mm. or, or, or whatnot. I mean, so there's some flexibility there that, that's really good. Mm. How many of your, your staff are located overseas, just out of curiosity? Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, I think we have about more than half of, uh, about half of our staff is located overseas. 
mm. outside of Japan. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. But we have a bunch of people in in Australia, and Australia is only like an hour difference. Right. 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 So, um, hour two hours difference. So it's not so they basically for all intents and purposes feel like they're in Japan mm. uh, because they're working pretty much like nine to or eight to four instead of nine to five. Or right. Whatever. Right. But, uh, yeah, we have yeah about half of our staff are probably abroad. I see. Wow. And do you have any experience or expertise in translation, or are you strictly on the IT side? I'm strictly on the IT side. Mm. I actually have the worst Japanese in my company. Oh, do you really? So it's yeah. really it's 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 an anecdotal. But uh, whenever I'm you know like going to networking events and you know uh, I'm talking to people that don't speak English, I'm speaking Japanese. Yeah. I always have to say, oh, you know, but. I'm not a translator, you know, I'm not even a project right, manager. Right, I don't even yeah. look over anything. I'm on the IT side of things, so don't look at my Japanese as like the level of the Japanese of the company. Right, right. right. We have a lot of uh, award-winning uh, translators on mm. our staff um, and that are, you know, out that we, in our repository of freelancers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, don't, don't <laughs> yeah, my Japanese is not the indicator of how good the company is. Yeah, okay. Um, that. Just brought something up to me though. Uh, you know, your main business activity is obviously translation. Yes. Right? People, for a long time coming now, mm -hmm. um, have said that this is something that will be automated yes. eventually, right? Yes. Uh, and, you know, from the looks of it, Google Translate does seem to be getting a little better. Uh, now, that's, that's a joke, of course, because obviously anyone who's ever tried to translate, Google Translate, you know, Japanese to English or vice versa realizes that it's just horseshit a lot of the time, <laughs> right? They, they get the, the grammar is totally yes. backwards. Any concept of nuance, things like that, is totally lost on Google Translate. But, you know, in you know, for someone in in your position, right, at mm -hmm. your company, is this a concern for you? Uh, it's a little bit of a concern, actually. Uh, for our company, we've split up tech into two different areas, right? Um, mm. And uh, I am where I said before I'm the CIO, where I handle development and security, we actually have a CTO, a Chief Technology Officer, mm. which is kind of rare for a very small company like us to have a CIO and a CTO. Right. But for us, the CTO, uh, what he manages is all the translation tools, and okay. AI would fall under translation tools. Mm. So he's a little bit more uh, of an expert on that. Uh, but I, okay. what I can say t to that is that uh, Google Translate is, like you said, it's very bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, Japanese English language pairs are one of the most difficult language pairs to translate. Sure. So while Google Translate from let's say English to Spanish or Spanish to French actually is r really good. Yeah. It's it's really useless in terms of going from Japanese to English. Yeah. Now one of the reasons for that is that um, um, Google has access to the way they generate their engine is that they go and look at all these public websites and then find the English mm. version and the Japanese version and mm. try to use that as their translation. But those aren't really, really high quality, right? Mm. There could be people that are, you know, really cheap translation, you know, where they just kind of churn out translation that's good enough. Right, But right. You, like you said, it misses the nuance, right? You see a lot of that in Japan, right? A yes. lot of that English translation <laughs> is just good enough, right? Good enough. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. I mean, it gets yeah. the point across, right? Right. But uh, for us, uh, and I didn't mention this before, but we're kind of like a, a, a boutique in terms of doing offering high quality translation where mm. accuracy is important. Mm. So we handle equity research, which is financial documents, okay. um, legal contracts, legal documents, yeah. and uh, creative writing, which actually is something that, that AI can't really do. Sure, um, sure. So uh, you know, that's like marketing material. So it's not even changing the word. You have to change the meaning to get the same kind of feeling kind of mm. thing with it. Mm. Um, so that's stuff that we, we are, that's the space that we're in in terms of market. And that's actually kind of insulated from the rest of you know, English-Japanese translation, right? Mm. So what you find is that uh, the, what we just talked about a second ago about those bargain hunters, the, the bargain right. translation firms, right, those right. are the ones that are getting eaten up or, or they're losing their business because of Google Translate, but we're still sitting mm. right here. Now, that's not to say that we're not worried about AI, um, but, mm. you know, we have seen a lot of stuff with AI that is, uh, we're, not a f we're not worried about it replacing humans in the near future in terms yeah. of uh, a human will need to be in there to, to, to fix it because yeah. the, the, the issues that come out of AI generated translation is actually quite different. Mm. Um, uh, we do have uh, one example where, mm. um, and this, ex this ex explains AI very well, is that it AI can only translate on what uh, 
data it has from the past. So mm. it can't do anything okay, off of okay. anything new. Right, right, right. And one good example of that is this year, the ta this year, last year, the tax went up, right, up to ten percent, right? right? Sure. So when we threw that through an AI engine to see what it would say, it translated it from uh, it translated uh, October two thousand nineteen, it translated it to March two thousand nineteen. And everybody was like, why would this happen? Now, something to do with the 10% you know, in the 10th month or something like no. that? No, not related. Because the last time mm. Japan raised the tax to 8% was in March. Oh, really? And so it just like it just ignored yeah. and only focused on what the, the what had previous record had. Yeah, okay. Wow. So that is just a, a very good example of where AI will definitely need to... Uh, uh, be reviewed by somebody, right? Um, and so, I think as a translator, your role is changing mm. to being from root translation, but you're changing more as a AI is a tool. Yeah, just like there was tools before that. Um, uh, uh, translation memory is what we mm. called it, which was like basically kind of like a fancy uh, statistical based modeling for doing translation. Okay. Um, you know, basically like a fancy dictionary, right? Well, right. we've seen this text before, this is what it was. Right, right. right. Um, and it's just a further extension of that. But the errors sure. that come out of it are different, but it still needs somebody to go over it and clear sure, it up. Sure. Um, so just like AI and all the other fields that it's being used in, it, it's, it's not replacing workers. Mm. It is becoming a tool to make those workers be able to produce more. So mm. one example was um, in Europe, uh, yeah. where they've been using AI for their translation a little bit more extensively because, like I said, uh, English and Japanese language pair is quite difficult. Right, right. Um, you've actually seen the, the translation industry, everybody thought it would die because people would just be translating the same stuff. Mm. But what happened is that because it came so much cheaper, people were now translating more. So the actual overall translation business, even though AI was doing stuff, mm. you know, just you know, 90% of the translation was being done by AI, you right. still had somebody to do more, but it's so cheap now, more people were doing stuff translated. So right, stuff that wasn't right. translated before is now getting translated. Sure, sure. So the industry as a whole grew. So uh, we expect the same thing to happen in Japan as well when, it, when that comes along. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. I, but I, like I said, I'm not the CTO, and he could give you the ex exact, you know. Yeah, well, you did a pretty good impression <laughs> right now <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Okay, so uh, well, that was a yeah fascinating introduction. Why don't you talk, tell me a little bit more about sort of uh, your experience doing business in Japan, sort of at the the meta level, not sort of the specifics of your day to day work, but more mm -hmm. just you as you know a foreigner, okay. living as a foreigner here in Japan, working your way up through a Japanese company. So I mean, one of the big issues as a foreigner at a Japanese well. Let me preface this by my current company is mm. not a Japanese company. I mean, it's most of the people work here in Japan, and it's you know uh, you know we do a lot of business in Japan, but we're we're clearly run as a Western company. Okay, okay. yeah, the culture. Um, yeah, but the like I said before, I worked at a subsidiary of a, a Japanese company, and mm. you know one of the difficulties I had there was that the culture is mm. definitely there's a work culture that's different. Um, this is before the labor the recent labor laws, but. You know, I was working 180 hours of overtime, and that was, <laughs> that was rough. That's a big number, yeah. Well, I made the mistake of living a block away from my workplace, so I never had the, 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 the luck of having to be home by the last train. Right, right. right. <laughs> so I was always the last person there. living in your office, yeah. It, it was really bad. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the pay for an IT professional in Japan, because it's kind of seen as blue-collar work traditionally, mm. uh, is very low. Mm. Um, you know, uh, just exacerbated the fact that you know you're working all these hours and you don't have a lot of money to show for it. After right, that. right. But right. culturally speaking, you know, it, it was you know very difficult because I found that I'm, I'm kind of a straightforward guy. Yeah. And you know, mm -hmm. I you know, and I joke around a little bit, but I would try to joke around and you know tell people some jokes and stuff like that, and I was told that was inappropriate and stuff like that. Right, right. Or you know, a typical Western thing of sitting on a desk while I was talking to somebody is a big no-no here. And yeah. So, you know, I got yelled at a couple of times, but, you know, I got the, oh, you're a foreigner, you don't know better, mm. uh, we'll let you pass, you mm. know. But, uh, you know, I, I do have one anecdotal story where I, uh, 
I, I was studying manzai at the time to uh, for speed to improve my Japanese speed because okay. it's very fast. Yeah. And because of that, I, I my 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 kacho san said something. My I don't know what kacho is in English, but your sort of section head. Section head. Yeah. yeah. He said something to me uh, about like why well, I should do something or something like that. And it was mm. kind of like a joke. And I just said mm. I said something derogatory back to him. Like, mm. or something right, like right, that, right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, not much uh, recognition of the station uh, there. You yeah. just kinda <laughs> let next it fly. to him was the Bucho san. So the yeah. guy his boss was sitting right, next right, to him. The department head. And yeah. he he felt that he had to say something back to me because I spoke up against him. Yeah. And what happened was the 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 his boss basically said, Hey Wow, your Japanese is really good. You can make jokes in Japanese. Ha 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 ha. And then <laughs> the section head couldn't say anything then, so he's like, "Oh, right, right." He but just I mean, had to eat it. Yeah, yeah he had to eat it. But <laughs> I could only have gotten away with that as a foreigner, right? If I did yeah, that as a well, Japanese, yeah. that might have been like more like cleaning toilets for the rest of my life. Then, right, but, right, yeah. Uh, but overall, I mean, I think it's very similar. Mm. Um, I did have an issue where I, it, you know, I saw some ways to improve the company. I saw some inefficiencies. Right, right. And I, and I put forward my, my suggestions to the company, and the, the, the department head was like, these are all really great suggestions. We can't do any of them. <laughs> and I was like, really? what? Why? Some it's a little more straightforward than Japanese people tend well, to Well, this was in a private meeting, right? Okay, so okay, <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, it, it was, um, you know, some of them things were had no cost, so it's not like a cost issue. Mm. Uh, but he just, he said, we just can't change the company like that. Done. Really? End of conversation. And mm. I was like, okay. And that's about the time after that conversation, I think within about two or three months is when I, was, when I left the company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, that's you see some... Deflate your... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you <laughs> want to help the company bit. out. Sure. And, and, you know, they're just not willing to make any changes. So yeah. That, that was a little frustrating as a foreigner, you know. Mm. Oh, I imagine. I imagine. But, uh, you know, speaking as a... Uh, you know, in terms of let's say the business environment, right? Sure. As a, as a, uh, as a, you know, difficulties in work doing business in Japan. It, one of the issues that we've had is, as my company is, uh, we're a small company, mm. and Japanese typically we have large clients uh, because we're dealing with financial records, so that's typically banks. Right. Right. But there are the Japanese companies don't want to do work with us directly because we're too small. So even really? though we have these multinational companies that we're already handling all their, they were handling their business for them. It's a bit of a paradox, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so they have to, we have to go through their intermediate. They set up their own subsidiary that we have to go through, right? And their subsidiary takes a cut, and it's really weird. That is strange, uh, yeah. Um, and so that creates a little bit of a friction because we have to go through these two steps to get to right, right. the consumer of our product. Everything takes much longer, the decision-making process, yeah. things like that. Yeah, and, yeah. And one time, actually, the the intermediary. Uh, we decided not to increase our prices, but the intermediary increased the price, and then the client, the head company, complained mm. to us about comp increasing our price. And we <laughs> said we didn't increase our price. Yeah, That's talk to your kogaisha about that, right? Yeah, was, yeah, which is really bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, there's a lot of that. There's always a lot of red tape. A lot of uh, people who have to check the box before a decision gets made in Japan. And also, oh, yeah, yeah, what what you referred to as sort of. Uh, there's a tendency in Japanese companies, certainly more than Western companies, I think, to sort of view them as like these monol these unchanging monoliths, yeah. right? And and the culture, the corporate culture, represents you know tradition, it represents their roots and their history, and it shall not be changed, right? Um, and this is actually something a lot of Japanese companies have struggled with because what that means is a lot of good ideas get shut down. Yeah. There's a lot of resistance to innovation. Right, um, so I, I I can sympathize with your position there, even though I've I've n personally never had a similar experience within a Japanese company. But mm. yeah, um, well, you don't forget it's changed a lot. I mean, in just the last five years, I hear that it's a little bit more sure, sure. flexible than it was. I mean, sure. over time, it's kind of disappeared. Uh, yeah, it has. The last couple of years. Um, well, in in the major institutions, it has. It has, yeah, because they're sort of the, the main target of the hataraki kata kaikaku, right? Yeah. Sort of the work style revolution that's going on in Japan <laughs> to try to save the, the country and uh, get them to start having babies again, you know? But Well, I mean, <laughs> there was that interesting uh, thing back when the Lehman shock happened that uh, mm. they had to send everybody home on Wednesdays. And if you actually look during Lehman shock, uh, productivity was down, but there was actually <coughs> an increase in the birth rate. Really? Yeah, because they <laughs> cut all that overtime. So it, they have a clear 
you know, plan right there for them. So yeah, yeah, it's true. It'll be interesting to see if they can actually <coughs> implement uh, something that will affect a, a change moving forward. But uh, because like God, last year, you know, the the talk of hataraki kata kaikaku starts in in. 2018, 2017, yeah. 2000. So it's been a few years, but the 2019 birth rate, the number of, of, of actual births here domestically in Japan is the lowest it's ever been. Yeah. Well, yeah, it takes so. some time, you know. Well, that is true. That is yeah. true. Yeah. But um, anyway, so you feel like your company has succeeded in running in more of a, a Western style. I mean, the entirely remote culture is, is quite unique. Yes. Um, you feel like you've sort of done a, a, well, not just you personally, but the company itself has been able to sort of avoid some of the pitfalls that are common amongst Japanese companies? Uh, internally, yeah. Uh, mm. We don't have, I mean, we still have some of those pitfalls because, like I said, half of our staff are, are, are Japanese. Yeah. And because of that, you know, some, some of those staff still have those cultural roots in, in working in, 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 in a Japanese system. And we do have, uh, issues is the wrong word, but we do mm. have uh, the, the the problems that arise between our Japanese staff and the uh, and the problems that arise with our our, our West non Japanese staff are yeah. completely different. Mm. Um, and it's it's really interesting that we we really struggle with the Japanese staff to to w with them uh, not really wanting to be promoted. Really? Which is really interesting. They don't want to take on more leadership roles or more responsibility. Okay, actually, yeah. I can yeah. kind of see that, yeah. Which is a real shock to us because some of the, you know, they're, they're just amazing people, uh, but mm. they're just like, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine where I am. Right, um, right. And, you know, uh, and then on the Western, the non-Japanese side, they're, you know, they're the go-getters and everything. Sure, sure. But what's really interesting is that there's some work that, uh, we find that goes better to the Japanese than, than to the Westerners, right? So mm. very uh, komikai, the can't be right, any right. detailed work, yeah, detail oriented, very methodical, can be very boring. Sure, so, but our, you know, we have a much, much, much lower error rate when the Japanese staff do it as opposed to our our, our non-Japanese staff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, th they we do have those issues still with you mm. know the Japanese staff not not speaking up more. Uh, that that'd be present at a normal Japanese company, but mm. uh, other than that, I think we we've managed to, to do okay. That's interesting. Um, what you said reminded me, um, you know, sort of within the Japanese corporate culture, there's a well, in, in society as a whole, is one of the things that's really valued is this idea of in Japanese, it's it's rentai sekini, mm -hmm. so group responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you make decisions as a group. Why? One of the reasons is that it disperses responsibility amongst the entire group, and one individual cannot be blamed when things don't go according to plan. This and that. Mm. right, um, and so maybe that culture, uh, at a certain point, leads to people not wanting to go Higher step up, up yeah, take yeah. that promotion, and, and and get those roles that maybe you know uh, ask a little bit more of them. But well, what's kind of interesting because I mentioned that we're kind of a, a worldwide company. Mm. So, and one example is our in our legal department. We actually have three heads mm. of our legal department, and one's in Japan, one's in the UK, and one's in That's the US. Yeah. Right. So, because of that, the responsibility is actually already split between the three these three people. Right. Um, and so, uh, maybe that actually works better mm. um, in terms of. of like you're saying, the group responsibility. I've never actually right. thought about it in that respect, but th that's yeah. probably why we actually, in those three people, only one of them is a non-Western. The other two mm. are Japanese, so right. non-Japanese, but yeah. I see, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and before I, before I move on, because I'd like to uh, start talking a little more specifically about IT and sure. the industry as a whole, but um, how does your company set up work hours then, if everything is remote? So more of a structural question. Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, the, so we have two sides, the business side and the IT side. The yeah. IT side, we actually don't set up hours. It's all flex for us mm. um, because actually our whole IT team is located in Nagoya just from happenstance. Okay. But, uh, you know, we let them work whatever they want because 
uh, if we only work nine to five, then there would be nobody around to support the people in, in, in Europe and America. Sure. So, you know, they come on late or they take a long lunch, but then they work until 10 p.m., which mm -hmm. gives coverage to those other time zones, right? Right, right. So for the IT side, it's kind of unique where we have this super flex that would just, you, is, I, it would be unmanageable at a Japanese company. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the business side, obviously, there there is, um, we have to manage, you know, client uh, interactions and whatnot. So we do have a system where we have, um, it doesn't matter what the, the, it's not like that we have specific hours, but w there always has to be one or two people always online for that group at any particular time. Mm. So it's up to that group to see what everybody's hours are and to, and to work that out. Okay. Right? And if somebody t goes on vacation and there's a gap, then somebody else needs, they need to shift around the schedules to, to, to fill that gap. Right. Um, but they figure out, you know, which time, whoever, whatever time zone can do that the easiest um, to, to, to facilitate that. Mm. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a fascinating organization. Yeah. It seems like you, there's probably quite a bit of uh, trial and error. Yeah, there Before is. You, yeah, you, yeah, you get that. Is. But once you get it to sort of a, you know, a, a well-oiled machine, then I imagine, you know, like like we said earlier, the the benefits certainly outweigh the potential drawbacks. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a mm. lot. Of, I mean, obviously, the you know, uh, one of the drawbacks is is higher IT costs because you have to spend yeah, sure, <laughs> this remote working. But a lot of people forget that office costs are expensive, very absolutely, expensive. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So we we have a very small office, and yeah. we save a lot of cost on that. Yeah. Um, that allows us to reinvest in our IT, and actually, the IT investor is not anywhere close to what an office of that size for 35 people would be in Japan. Right, right. Yeah, so in Tokyo too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it also, one of the things that, uh, one of the benefits that we get is higher retention, right? I imagine. Because, uh, you know, working from home is, especially in Japan where there's only 16% of the companies here are mm. uh, allow uh, remote work. I'm surprised it's even that high. <laughs> Those are mostly yeah. foreign companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. right. But uh, yeah, that becomes a huge motivator for some people. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, especially because you know they're they're you know they're taking care of their parents, some people, mm. and so they need to be able to be at home, and so sure. this is uh, it works out well for a lot of different people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's switch sure. subjects a little bit. Um, lay out the the current battlefield in the, the the fight for supremacy in the IT industry right so you've got United States yep and uh, GAFA yep. right the big four you've got China yep uh, where does Japan fit into that I, I would personally say it doesn't mm. <laughs> it's not even on the map yeah uh, in, in terms of like I mentioned before Japan has typically seen IT work as a like blue collar job okay um, and so because of that, uh, the average salary for IT work has been uh, quite low, lower than the average for a salary man. Right. Um, and uh, because of that, there hasn't been a lot of uh, utilization of IT innovation mm. in Japanese companies, right? Right, and so right. The innovation, or, or because the salary is so low, you don't get people in, uh, you know the best and the brightest, right? And obviously, mm. the higher the salaries, the more you're going to attract the, sure, the really gifted sure, people. Sure. So the overall, you know, IT um, mentality is that it's cheap work, it's cheap labor. Anybody can do it. Mm. Uh, even that Japanese company I worked for, they were hiring people that hadn't. It was everybody was a developer, but they were hiring people that had Sorry, never done any development at all in college or undergrad or whatever. Right. And then teach them all uh, over two months, and then hope they could program something, and <laughs> it was a disaster. Right. Right. Um, so because of that, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues with Japanese websites. Mm. I'm a specifically a, a website applications developer, mm. so that that's where. Whenever I see these little issues, it really, like, really irks me. <laughs> you, you gave me some good advice earlier as well, yeah. so I, yeah, I appreciate that. But, but I mean, the, the running... Hire you as a consultant or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, but the running joke uh, among uh, the IT crowd is, like, Japan's IT is about maybe 10 to 20 years behind the West. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's yeah. exceptions like Rakuten, but you forget that sure. Rakuten's owner, I believe, he was trained in the U.S., mm. right? Yeah, he went to MBA in the U.S., so right. that's maybe the exception to the rule there. But right, right. Uh, in general, uh, you know, I mean, I worked for a software development company, and we had all the resources in-house to be able to have a, a time-tracking online system. Mm. 
but we still had to do it in Excel and then print it out and then hunko it three right. times right, and fax right. it up to Tokyo. It's yeah. like you have all this ha talent in house that could do this easily, and yet why do you go through all this effort? Right? Sure, sure. So I, I do think that uh, that that Japan is probably not on the market there, and it actually is a big issue right now because mm. uh, there's a to improve the Japanese economy. Obviously, you need to have startups. Right. is kind of the big push that uh, Japan is doing. I know Nagoya is specifically working really hard to get yeah. more startups. Yeah. And the big issue with startups is that there's not enough IT talent for startups. Mm. And where does that IT talent come from? Right. And so because the salaries aren't there and it's seen as blue collar traditionally, right. that there's just not enough people going into the field, which right. is why they're hiring people with no experience. Right? Mm. Uh, but what's happened as of just, I think, uh, last year, I think Hitachi and some of the major com Japanese companies realize that AI is really big and the next step for them. And they've actually started saying, we don't care about uh, you know, the, the traditional payment system. We're going to just pay these people $100,000, so it was an isenman, right. a year, uh, or 10 million yen, uh, right out of college if you have an AI background. Good. Yeah, they should. So they're finally realizing that to get the good a uh, IT people, they need to pay these rates or else they're just going to go to the, all the foreign firms yeah. who offer those rates. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, there's, you know, the Japanese companies were protected for the longest time because of the lifetime employment system yeah. here in Japan, right? Um, and because just traditionally there was a surplus of workers mm -hmm. um, and the companies themselves had much more power and leverage in negotiating with workers. So the starting salaries were traditionally set quite low, et cetera. Right. But you look at other sort of healthy labor markets and it's simple supply and demand. Right. And you know, prior to the financial crisis in the United States, the you know, Ivy League graduates were all in, in, in you know, Harvard MBAs were going to banks and Wall Street and places like this and post financial crisis, where are they going? They're going to Google yeah. and Facebook and these places because they're offering them the best salaries, right? The most attractive packages. So it's actually, to, for me, while it is, you know, 10 to 20 years behind, it is a, a little reassuring to hear that Japanese companies are maybe starting to smarten up. Yeah, and even in Nagoya, uh, you know, before where the average salary for, for some of the people I know was more of in like a four or five million range. In just the last couple of years, they're seeing that go up to six, seven million range. Yeah. So yeah. there's definitely a, a push now because of the, the, the constrained labor market mm. that if you do have IT talent, you don't want to lose it. Right. So you either got to reduce your overtime and improve salaries or, or these people are going to leave. Right. And that's what's happening. I, I right. hear a lot of more mobility among IT professionals, yeah. Japanese IT professionals, mm. right? Um, so people that aren't traditionally moving around so much are yeah. moving around a lot more now. That's good, that's good. Someone needs to sort of inject that, that mobility, mm. that fluidity into the, the labor market or Japan is perhaps even more doomed than it, than it already may be. <laughs> um, so Japan is a non, it's a non-factor then in this, this IT struggle for supremacy then, yeah? Yeah, I, 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 I'm. That's where I stand. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So who are who who are our favorites at this point? I mean, obviously, I, I mentioned GAFA and China earlier, but well, I mean, GAFA and China are really mm. good examples of. So AI is the next big thing, right? Right. And right. AI to be really successful, you need a lot of big data, right? So you need a lot of data. Now China is basically monitoring everything that their populace does. Yeah. Yeah. So China Inc is just amazing in terms of data that they have access to, mm. um, and then they don't have any. They, they have weaker privacy protection laws, uh, sure. so it makes it easier to get that data. Mm. So uh, I think Chinese companies are going to have a really big advantage, assuming that the, the AI that they produce, the AI engine that they produce from the data in China is usable in other cultures, because obviously the Chinese culture is different, so right, their buying right. habits and whatnot may be different than Americans, for instance. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, Amazon and Google have also similar information, but I, my favorite would probably be Google, just because they're in so mm. many different aspects of people's lives right now. Yeah, um, and they're just gathering so much information, and, and they have access to your Gmail and everything like that. Yeah, so yeah. The the problem is, is that if you're a newcomer to the field, uh, you need to be using AI, obviously, mm. to compete with these groups, and they have this huge set of data that you don't have yet. Right, right. Um, and y it's very hard to compete with that. Yeah. Um, so you have to find some way to create 
Now, if it's a brand new field mm. um, where there's no data and you can start gathering data on that, mm. then that data is just yours and that's where your advantages are going to come from. Right, right. Or like I said before with the translation, right? Mm. So Google has all this data that is mined from websites, but it's bad data. Right, okay. Right, so okay. you can have better data than Google, but uh, that's another way to go about it. But yeah, Google, Google would be my... If I was to put in a fight there, I'd say Google would be the one to worry the most about. Okay, so in terms of uh, anything that can, any battle that can be fought in terms of quantity, and mm -hmm. then also um, sort of existing fields that Google already has a hand in, there's basically no way to compete. Uh, I mean, you can have new insights in that data, like mm. maybe Google hasn't seen, but Google would be able to replicate you very quickly right. if they have a way to link the data. Right, okay. That would be, that's my take on it. Okay, uh, but uh, I mean, I'm not an AI specialist, mm. so um, I'm sure I'm just I just have a very novice view of this. But yeah, yeah, no, that's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. You certainly have a much you know more well-informed opinion than I do. Um, now you talked about AI. You talked. We talked a bit about IT. You talked about also how Japanese companies s tend to grossly misappropriate. <laughs> these technologies, <laughs> yes. right? Like you said, they 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 print out the document and sign it, and then you know they they uh, they see you know press the seal four times and then fax it off and all these <laughs> sort of ridiculous things. Almost it's almost like they're mocking the technology the way <laughs> the way that a lot of offices use them. How do you think uh, IT will sort of change it, Japan? In the, in the foreseeable future, maybe five to, to ten years? Well, I mean, I mentioned it before where, mm. uh, you know, the companies have realized that IT workers are, are needed and mm. that it's a resource that needs to be uh, utilized mm. um, and it has been undervalued up mm. until now. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, with the changes in, in, in the salary that we're seeing and the mobility changes, I think it's pretty safe to say that the viewpoint on IT has kind of changed from being like a blue collar to white collar. Right, right. And so, It'll take a generational effect. Uh, you have to wait a generation for that to kick in. Mm. But I think the people coming out of college will see that, and they will change over to those professions. And all of a sudden, we'll have a new breath of all these people uh, with IT experience that will help those companies to push forward. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things that people could say is that one of the reasons why Japan is so against IT is that you know they're very top heavy in terms of their yeah. their management structure and uh, in, in terms of age. Yeah. Um, and uh, older people are typically a little bit more technology adverse. Mm. Um, so once they start leaving the workforce, it may be a little bit easier to move around mm. in terms of uh, adopting new IT policies. Mm. Uh, or there may be external factors, like the coronavirus is great. Um, like we talked <laughs> before, that only 16% of companies are you know, doing telecommuting or telework. Yeah. And you know, all of a sudden, that's a lot more right now. Sure. I don't know what the number is currently, but sure. uh, a lot of companies are feeling like they are forced to do it. And once you've mm. opened that bottle of allowing people to work from home and, they, and the people that really like it, you, you can't put the genie back in. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. So uh, I do think that, you know, that's going to kickstart a lot of IT mm. investment in Japan. Um, and, you know, it's I'm eager to see where that's going. Mm. Um, but I do think that, there's going to be a big change in the next five years, and I'm kind of excited to see where this is going to go. Yeah, Hopefully, yeah, uh, absolutely. Japan can kind of catch up to, to where the U.S. is in a couple of years uh, mm. in terms of just utilizing tech in, in their companies. Right, right. So, uh, unrelated question, but okay. you mentioned telework, you know, remote work. Uh, you've been working for this company for nine what, years. Nine years yep. now, yeah. Uh, you can do your work from anywhere, right? Yep. There are no restrictions. Yep. But you chose Nagoya. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. What, uh, is there is there you know a, a, some background there? Or it seems like unless there was a strong necessity. <laughs> well, <laughs> it seems uh, odd for someone, you know, spe specifically a foreigner, to choose Nagoya. But that's just my take on it. Well, I mean, I was here <laughs> in Nagoya because uh, I studied uh, at Yamasa, which is in Okazaki. Right, right. And right. So I was here. And actually, right before I st uh, entered this company, I got married. And my wife's mm. uh, uh, hometown is uh, in Kasagai. Okay. So okay. Yeah. her whole family is here. Uh, but we did have the opportunity to, to move to England because at the time, oh, IT wow. was based in England, so we could have moved to England. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you, know, you know how it is. It seemed like 
oh, it's not worth to move it out there. And I was like, oh, but we should go to England. And mm. But, you know, uh, it wasn't there. The family politics weren't there. So right, right. we stayed in Nagoya. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, now I have two kids. And so kind of, I, I, you know, personally, I feel like uh, Nagoya is my home, my Japanese hometown, well, mm. more specifically Okazaki. But, I mean, I've been here for, what, 12 years now? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's it's a, it has a small hometown feel because there's not a lot of foreigners here. Mm. And like we were just talking about before this mm. podcast, how you actually met one of the people I went to school with yeah. just last yeah. week, right? Yeah. It was a very small community here. Yeah. So we all know each other, and I, and I really do enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to to be blunt, I, I don't like the weather. It's, uh, coming from Boston, it's too hot here. Yeah. Oh uh, my God. The summers are unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. Unbearable. Yeah. I, I yeah. you know, Sapporo is more my spiel, but right. Right. You know, the wife has uh, made her decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we we barely even got a winter this year. Yeah, yeah, it was a little upsetting. Which is <laughs> which is scary uh, for what twenty the twenty twenty summer might have to offer coming up. Well, I do um, worry about the drought that's going to happen because we don't have yeah. any snow melt this year. So mm, that's also yeah, it's a good yeah. point. I hadn't thought about that, but. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, sort of wrapping up, do you have, what, or what is your uh, sorry, advice mm-hmm. for foreigners? You've, you know, uh, like 12 years you mentioned, yeah. and you also had multiple other stints here as, uh, yeah. as <laughs> you know, a study, study abroad exchange student. Um, so you're quite, you know, familiar with mm. uh, Japan, the culture, the work environment, etc. You have any advice for foreigners in Japan who are, you know, looking to excel in their fields as you have? So I, I think that the two things to do uh, in, in Japan, or if you want to come to Japan, is one you need to to go with the culture. Uh, mm. It's gonna you're gonna bat heads with it a lot, <laughs> um, and you can't fight it because you're gonna lose because it is monolithic. As we've <laughs> said before. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of have to go with the flow, and you need to work within the confines of the culture, mm. right? Uh, mm. Don't try to change the rules. Try to, oh, this rule isn't in the manual, so it doesn't apply to me, kind of thing. And that's more acceptable. Right? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would say is you really got to learn the language. Mm. That's, I mean, you know, I, I need to spend more time learning Japanese myself. <laughs> but there's always more room to learn Japanese. But uh, sure. you know, if you if you can't really speak the language, then it really does limit you. Mm. Specifically in Nagoya, you really need to have yeah. like level N2 on the JLPT mm. as an example, right? To be right. able to get many jobs here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, up in Tokyo, it's less of an issue with the, the language ability. But That's true. if you do have Japanese ability and you're up in Tokyo, your, your salary just goes up even more. Mm. Uh, because they have the opposite there. They have English speakers that don't speak Japanese. And they need right. bilingual people up there as well. So right, right. That's a good point. Um, what you just said is, you know, and not to say that I've you know succeeded in any uh, important measure, but... That's maybe perhaps one of the things that I did unconsciously in the seven years that I've lived in Japan is that sort of embrace the culture mm. and, you know, you don't have to follow it to the T, right, as foreigners, but working within the confines, right, um, because, well, to a lot of, of foreigners who maybe know a little bit about Japanese culture, it, it seems quite restrictive, uh, you know, you can't even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is. It is quite restrictive until you also realize that it sort of exists um, in in concert with the the society itself, mm-hmm. right? And that there are reasons and a history behind a lot of the sort of cultural norms that they have here. And when you understand that, then it's maybe e- a little easier to go with the flow, yeah. right? Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it certainly is restrictive to. I mean, you're from Boston, right? I'm from yeah. I'm from Ohio. Okay. Uh, so I don't, you know, I'm not quite as abrasive as <laughs> I assume <laughs> as, as I assume there you are. <laughs> yeah. Ohio Valley coming up. You you don't have a really strong accent though, actually. So no, was, I don't. Yeah. So the there's a good reason for that. So uh-huh. uh, even though I grew up in Boston, my mom's from Jersey, so she has a Jersey accent. Oh, okay. So I grew up in Boston. Everybody around me had a Boston accent. Yeah. And my dad's Jamaican, so my dad really? has a Jamaican wow. accent. Wow. So uh, linguistically speaking, uh, and uh, from this is just a, my hypothesis, but uh, yeah. uh, if you are brought up in an environment with multiple uh, uh, dialects, yeah. you don't see them as 
uh, you don't see uh, you just see you see them as dialects. Like right, that's how right. this person talks. That's sure, how this sure, person sure. talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to this is how English. you talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right. And so that's yeah. interesting. Uh, in terms of yeah, I don't have the I, I do say my R's. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there there's I yeah. No, that's 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 fascinating. You, did you were you uh, successful in the the constant struggle to try to raise your children bilingually? Oh, that's a very I've good heard question. It's, I've heard it's quite you know quite difficult, much more difficult than one would assume uh, from just you know an interracial couple. <laughs> it, it depends on uh, it depends on your environment, right? Mm. So um, uh, it, there was a little disappointment for me in terms of. Uh, so just for context, my children are four and two, so I yeah. uh, they're not at that critical stage yet. Uh, uh. But um, you know, I, my original plan was, oh, I was going to read them j Japanese books, yeah. and that way I could practice my Japanese and reading them like little children's books and stuff like that, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. So I mean, my son is four, yeah. and he speaks to me like ninety percent in Japanese. Yeah, but I we decided that I always respond to him in English. Mm. Um, and with that, he uh, he knows it, he understands my English perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. um, and wow. sometimes he'll speak to me in English as well. I mean, we sent him to a, a, an international kindergarten right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, and one of the things that we've done that kind of one of the rules that we have in the house is uh, all TV has to be in English. And Netflix oh, really? has helped with that because <laughs> they're going to want to watch TV anyway. Sure, sure. And I'm just one person, and we live uh, next to my in-laws. Yeah. So there's like eight people in the family in the in the neighborhood that uh, are all speaking Japanese, and I'm right one person that's working all the time that doesn't have a lot of opportunities to speak to him. So that's why we send him to an English school, oh, and that's why we made the rule of only doing English uh, on TV. Mm. That's worked out really well um, yeah, because he yeah. understands. I mean, at the school, the teachers are always like, "Oh, his English is so good compared to the other students," and we're like, "Well, I hope so because it's a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah." But um, if not, then we're failing, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. But my daughter, uh, mm. it's quite interesting because she, you know, a two-year-old doesn't speak a lot of words, right? Right, right. Uh, but just recently, in the last week, she's uh, when I ask her a question, I always ask her in, in English, right? Yeah. She answers with yes and no now, as opposed to hi in ye. Right. Which is what she used to say. Right. So she's already. That's the that for me was the the, the first hint that she's separating them. That, sure, sure. Um, yeah. But she's still speaking to me in Japanese. But for her, hi, uh, yes, she knows that she needs to say yes to me and no. Right, right. So uh, starting to distinguish between. Them. Yeah, but I think that's that you really yeah. need to think about how many hours mm. your child has exposure to. So a mm. friend of mine, him and his wife uh, speak only English in their house, mm. and the children can speak. We're speaking fluent English mm. uh, up until they were f uh, at four years old, and that's when they put them in kindergarten or, or daycare or whatever it is. Mm. And uh, they struggled because they didn't speak any Japanese whatsoever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they, they're bilingual now, but right, they had that right. weird at transition. Start, yeah, yeah, I imagine. But I mean, you have to be very careful because, um, in terms of linguistically speaking, they, they uh, if you try to force English and Japanese on them at the same level mm. and assume that they can be fully bilingual, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lost cause. And I'll give you an anecdote here. Yeah. At, at our company, we have about 300 translators. Yeah. Um, and uh, of that, people that we consider fully bilingual, yeah. like native-level bilingual, is yeah. two. Really? But, yeah. I mean, we're... That's our profession, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. But so I always kind of laugh when people say, "Oh, my son is fully bilingual," and I'm like, right. "Probably not." Yeah. yeah. Uh, but tell them to translate these legal documents for me. <laughs> right, right. Because there's yeah. different nuances. Sure, sure. So yeah. uh, the trick is to make sure to don't force them to be the same level in both languages. So mm -hmm. that's why I don't get upset that my son is speaking in Japanese all the time because mm. he understands everything I say, mm. and for right now, that's good enough. Wise words. I uh, just got married Congratulations. To, a, to a Japanese. Yeah, she's from Osaka, so she's not going to force me to live here, fortunately. But uh, <laughs> but um, obviously, we are, you know, looking to have children in the not too distant future, yep. and you know, it's something that is on my mind: how to successfully raise them bilingually. So, who knows? I might come back to you on that one. Yeah, definitely. But, just yeah. what works for me may not work for you, but you just gotta 
find out what everybody's doing and find out what works for you in your environment. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you very much. Is there anything you would like to add to close up? No, no, I just thank you for the opportunity coming out. It was great talking no. with you today. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. It's a lot that uh, I had never heard before or even thought about, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, is there, if there, some listeners want to <coughs> contact you, um, do you have, you know, social media or something like that? Uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. and LinkedIn, yeah. okay. Okay, and uh, I'll go ahead and, is it okay if I link that in the description sure, as well? Sure, that's perfectly fine. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It was, yeah. Great talking to you. <laughs> Thank you for having me.